Live from Larry Sellers' living room, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. If we have any listeners left after last week, between the La La Land episode and the Fableman's Hot Takes, welcome back, all 12 of you, to our little show. I'm Kev. As always, I'm joined by the Hot Take Machine, the co-host with the Comos, super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Bolks. Hello, hello. Welcome. Let the healing begin. Yes. I apologize for breaking any hearts, <laughs> but uh, I am who I am, as Popeye would say. So That's right. La Caja <laughs> Fall one day will be covered on Austin Danger Podcast. I am what I am. I am what I am. Yes. But until that day, tonight, the Cohen Brothers making their Austin Danger Podcast debut, perhaps? I believe so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe so in what? Some on this podcast would say is one of, if not their finest film, uh, a Mm -hmm. movie that upon release, people saw it and said, what the fuck is this? This isn't Fargo. It's not Fargo. It's their follow up. The Big Lebowski. A weird movie. (laughs) A great movie. I'm so excited to talk about this with you. And I've been so pumped to talk about it with you because I know you love it so much and uh, just felt like a gift rolling it last week and knowing that i get to talk to you about it i'm just so pumped well thank you i mean look i've I've, we've been very lucky on this show to roll a lot of movies that i've called among the greatest of all time but big lebowski is a number one my total favorite i love that uh and speaking of favorite movies uh i kind of want to kick off our what you've been watching here by telling people about a movie i am high key obsessed with (gasps) So, uh, how do I even begin? There's a movie that's coming out on Netflix on December 30th. It's Noah Baumbach's new film called White Noise. And they're running it here in New York in a few theaters and in L.A. because you have to run it there for awards consideration. Mm. I do not think this movie will win. I mean, to win, you have to be nominated. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. Uh, it's white noise is an adaption of a postmodern novel from the mid eighties by Don DeLillo about a professor and his family who essentially are constantly bombarded with noise. It's a movie that is about televisions and radios running constantly in the home in the eighties, but also Mm. about how everyone, you know, now talks and tweets and how (laughs) like, like it's a movie to to put it bluntly it's a movie about how sometimes when you're in a discord of a certain size people will just post news stories without even checking to see if they've been posted so you can go an entire afternoon in one channel or five channels of a discord and you're still looking at the same news story over and over again there's just a never-ending stream of constant information and it fucks with us and destroys our brains this guy wrote about yeah. this shit in 1985 or whatever and and Bombach takes whole swaths of this like dialogue word for word and just puts it on the screen. And it's not perfect. It's not the best movie at all. Far from it. But it is <laughs> the movie that spoke to me the most this year. About mm. that, about there's a scene where there's a giant gas leak and it causes a giant poisonous cloud over the town they live in. So they have to evacuate in chaos. And uh, what does that remind you of? And all of that is feels like it should be overwrought, but somehow works for me because mm. it is directly pulling from this book from the eighties and not like its own stupid COVID commentary. 
<laughs> but it's beautiful. It's about all those things I said before. It's about noise. It's about the fear of death. It's about the end of the world. It's about the beginning of mm. a new one. It's about the way we communicate. It's about who you listen to when you listen to podcasts and what they say. Um, mm. I'm obsessed with it. You are you podcast world. Austin nation may hate it. Um, in my letterbox review, I opened saying it was, <laughs> I called, I called it Southland tales, fury road. Oh my gosh. Because although it's, it is adapting a book from the mid eighties. It is about us. Mm. That's why Bombach chose the book. That's why he did it. He co-wrote it with Greta Gerwig. It's team Barbie working on this film. <laughs> and yeah, I, that's all I can say right now. Really? I want to go back. I think I may go back tomorrow to be honest. But uh, yeah, I'm obsessed with it. You're going to hate it. White noise. What can I'm I say? excited to check it out. I want everyone I know to check it out, but you may hate it. <laughs> and that's <laughs> I'm excited. I do want to mention I went to the Paris theater for this. They're showing it in 35 millimeter, which I've become that guy about this year. It's just very cool. I saw E.T. <laughs> in 35 over the weekend as well, which was a lot of fun. Uh, the print there for E.T. was a mess. It was too dark. You could barely see E.T. I loved it. But the thing about the Paris is that I was just amazed at how little actually worked in the Netflix-owned awards-regulated movie theater. Like, the <laughs> box office mic didn't work, so the woman working it couldn't even tell me what she saw. The guy at the door wasn't taking tickets, didn't really seem to care. Um, the sink and soap in the bathroom both ran on different 10-second delays. The The popcorn box I was given fell apart during the trailers. It was absolutely wild. They opened the curtain to play one trailer and then closed the curtain and reopened it just to reframe. And then the projector wasn't even framed right. I was oh just like, God. Mr. Bean movie theater. <laughs> I should have just stayed home to watch Netflix. Wait a minute. I think I'm on to something Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Maybe it's a conspiracy. So yeah, uh, part of the joy of this is, you know, the great equalizer. You can watch it at home on Netflix. Uh, put your phone in a drawer in another room and pretend like you're at the movies for this because there's a lot going on and it's easy to lose you. It's kind of, uh, it's the only similarity to Elvis um, in that way. <laughs> uh, do not watch a fucking trailer. The trailers are trying to tell you that this is National Lampoon's vacation or something. When in reality, it is a bizarre, hyper-intellectual, postmodern movie about how information and mass consumption in the Reagan years will one day cause the death of all things. And uh, <sighs> accepting that is a fat major facet of life. Who will die first? Does it matter? I don't Ooh. know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Holy shit. <laughs> um, it's a fucked up movie. And then stick around after the credits for the amazing LCD sound system music video. Uh, that is better than the fantastic mr fox supermarket dancing scene and in a year full of great dance scenes in after yang and peacemaker etc uh, i think it tops it what yeah it's good i'm freaking out so yeah noah bombox white noise uh, kev recommends it with apprehension <laughs> i also want to talk about maybe we can use this as a bridge to what you've been watching yes to continue our conversation from last week about like old school musicals and stuff that doesn't get made anymore. You watched that's entertainment, which was the MGM 50th anniversary compilation. And then last week I watched it too. I did. I've been like building 2023 is the the year I dive even further into old Hollywood. Cause Correct. I just really, really love it a lot. And I'm making a distinct, like a, like a determined effort. So I've been making myself sort of like a 
list that is like a watch list of these old Hollywood like filmographies and actors I'm interested in. Uh, and I was just looking for Gene Kelly stuff and noticed this That's Entertainment thing popping up a lot on a lot of actors I'm looking at. And uh, saw it was on HBO Max and I was like, oh, whatever. And it's, you know, a clip show, so easy to have on while you're working. And uh, yeah, it was really cool to watch. I mean, obviously there's like some big ones like Singing in the Rain that everybody knows. Yes. Um, but there was like a lot of just fun stuff I'd never seen before. And it's literally just like a clip show. I wrote my review, this is my Avengers Endgame, because it was like every new host that comes out, you're like, holy shit, because it's like Jimmy Stewart and Gene Kelly and Liza Minnelli and, and Elizabeth Taylor. And like, it was just wild. It's yeah. fun. It's a fun watch. I loved the way that the hosts were, <laughs> I guess they never tore down the sound stages mm-hmm. or any of the freestanding outdoor sets. So they have the the stars standing in front of like the ghost town of the old sets. Like there's one scene where somebody goes like this building or what's left of it. And it's like, no shit, dude. It's falling apart, exposed brick. It kind of reminded me of the Stephen Sondheim musical Follies which is mm. all about how an old theater there's an old theater that used to have like Ziegfeld Follies-esque Broadway numbers, right? The stuff that created the talent pipeline that led to these films we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about to get torn down and everybody comes back to the theater and they are haunted by their literal ghost, like not haunted by ghosts, like in a ghost story, but like they are haunted by the past, which are represented by actors playing the younger selves of the actors. Mm. Um, a lot of that vibe is felt through like Liza Minnelli in a ruined courtyard or like talking about her mom. Yeah. Talking about dead at this point. Yeah. Yeah. The gum, the gum sister that made it. Yeah. But, and I will say that that's entertainment too, which I also watched and I'm in the middle of three. There's multiples of these things. Two is I think better in terms of, um, hosting because Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire built out these like sets, like they're dancing on these sets as they introduce the clips. So it's much more like, um concerted effort to make the hosting not just like people wandering abandoned sets like it's actually kind of cool and i believe i read somewhere that was the last time the two of them danced on screen together and they did it because gene kelly directed it and he was like hey fred this might be the last time we can do this let's fucking do it you know and that so that's the last time gene kelly and fred astaire ever danced together was in that's entertainment part too so i definitely think they're both worth a watch and uh, we gotta say it the first one has a jump scare yeah, I, I did want to um, talk about this. <laughs> it's a full jump scare where you're watching and you're like, ooh, I love these musical clips. Isn't this so fun? Mickey Rooney, look at him. And then Mickey Rooney is in blackface <laughs> for like a full five fucking minutes. Like in 1974, they produced this and they thought, let's leave the whole thing in. Right? It's 1974. I'm sure it'll be chill. What were they thinking? Oh my god! And you know what? The thing that the thing that got me two things that got me about it is a his glee to be in blackface at that moment. His and Judy is in like grin. a brown face thing too. It's really fucked up. It's really bad. Francis <laughs> really Gum bad. is not innocent either, for the record. But no, I, no, I no, do no, no. like the <laughs> calling her Francis. Is I have me to up. say, I have to say, it made me laugh. And not in the way of like, this is real entertainment I'm taking seriously. And isn't it funny that he's like It's that. just like astounding that you're seeing it. You're like, it what the fuck is going the on? gut punch shock laugh of like, <gasps> like, oh my God. Oh, like I'm even thinking. <laughs> like, it is oh insane. It is like visually crazy to see. You're and like, it's holy terrible. shit. And by the way, why was that ever considered? Can we just say, why was that ever considered valid entertainment? Because it looks terrible. Um, I mean, I know why. You know why. We all know why. We all know why. Um, Racism. 
yeah, Francis Gum, not unsure about the intent of that piece. But there is one moment that is very funny where we get a lot of straight on. And it's Mickey Rooney and a bunch of chorus boys who are all in blackface. And then it cuts to an above the shot, like a above shot of them. You could have just cut off at that point and everyone would have accepted that that was the end of the clip. But no, that's the beginning of they, a three minute stretch of more of this. Like, I don't understand why they kept the whole thing in. For reference, this is from the film Babes in Arms, a 1939 musical. And if you go to the letterbox, all the reviews are like, what the fuck is that one scene? Rightfully so. Uh, I, I get that Babes in Arms is like a big deal for both Mickey Rudy and Judy Garland. But like, they play other songs from that movie. Like the one of them all walking down the street being like, we're babes in arms. That right. could have just been the one scene from that movie you picked. But you had to include the blackface in your clip show? I mean, look, um, <laughs> if you're racist in the 70s, it is a catchy song. Oh, my God. Right? I don't even remember the song because I was screaming my head off the whole time going, <laughs> what am I seeing? It's not like the other two hours and 11 minutes aren't full of catchy songs, I guess. No, yeah. Like, the rest of it is great. Again, that's just like a fair warning to anyone who's like, oh, maybe I'll check that out. Just know there's like dead smack in the middle of this really weird fucking part. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I do, <laughs> I do, sense. to get us, to kind of get us out the hell out of that scene, I did like how they were not afraid to admit that many of the musicals from that era were churned out, like, by the dozen and were not totally substantial. Even Mickey yeah. Rooney talks about his movies. It's like, ah, oh, you know, we made, like, nine of these a year or whatever. They were all... There's that great compilation where I know we're going to put on a show and we're going to get this person and that person and that. And then it just goes into the 15 times he did that in a movie. He has to say those things. I think that's pretty funny. I could think of a show that he shouldn't have put on, however. (laughs) I could think of a show. And I think what I texted you that maybe even was a part of convincing you that to put this on was... It, was it was it Sinatra or or who said like you're never gonna see people that are talented in this way ever again? It's Gene Kelly early, I believe. He's talking about Fred Astaire. He's like, I mean, you're yeah. never gonna see this again. And it's like, you know, he's right. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, because like, well, standards are different, right? Also, right, tap dancing is not in vogue. You know I wish it I mean? was, though, man. But yeah, I mean, that's entertainment was fun. It was fun. To, it was a fun, interesting, like, especially in context of having just watched La La Land after our conversation we had about it to just sort of get like an overview of the types of films. Like, it's kind of crazy to me that they were just putting these musicals out by like the dozens each year. And now we get a musical once every like once every year, maybe. Once yeah, every two and that's years. the thing, too, is like, I feel like oh, there's a lot of undue pressure on the musicals. You know, a yeah. lot of the musicals we get today are very odd. I think the Tom Hooper, Les Mis, and Cats, for example, are fucking bizarre movies that I love and I, I wish they could exist. But there is an undue weight on them because that's the one musical we're getting this year. Yeah. You know? And it's a, it's to, to the detriment of that art form, I think, totally. And then because and, and also another thing with these old musicals is like these these talents came from the stage. These are stage actors that could tap, that could sing, that could that could do these these, you know, huge like full of effort intense dance and singing numbers um and now it is like what movie star can we put into this musical to sell it to common audiences as opposed to let's bring the talented stage actors to these musicals if that if that makes sense i think that's also a huge major difference is that these these talents were discovered on the stage and nowadays it's more about name recognition so that we get people in the door All right and movies are also either quieter or more intense 
like the movies have also become more polarized where now, you know, 90% of movies are Mar- Marvel movies. Sorry. <laughs> like, I don't know, you know? No, for sure. Things things have changed. Being what a star is has changed. Expectations are different. People don't really want to see that kind of thing anyway. Yeah. So that's entertainment as a bit of a nostalgia trip and maybe not always the best one to fall into, but I recommend it. It was fun to watch. The Mickey Rooney black face is funny, my truth. It is very awful. Maybe you can cut that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's, I mean, mostly that's, I watched a ton of stuff this week. Nothing worth like, we've already talked a lot. We got to get to the Lebowski, but I watched a lot more old Hollywood stuff like Holiday with Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. I watched Bogey in the Maltese Falcon. I also watched Casablanca on its anniversary. Boom. I watched High Society, Singing in the Rain again. And I also did charade with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn instant five star I agree just an immediate all-timer so lots of really great old Hollywood stuff I explored this this week as well as that's entertainment so expect a lot of that I'm committing because it's the kind of movies I want to watch right now so yeah that's what I watched gotta dance gotta dance whoop news what does it all mean Basil Austin news for this week. There actually is a little piece of Austin news in the Sydney Morning Herald from our friends in Australia. Well, uh, I'm going to try this gentleman's last name, Nick Bazin, B-H-A-S-I-N, for Sydney Morning Herald. It doesn't make sense, but Austin Powers is somehow still very funny. Wrote this really great think piece. 90s Mike Myers looms especially large, given the almost total absence of comedy films being released in theaters today, he writes. If you want to watch a funny movie, you're doing it at home. And as much as there are new comedies that I love, and God knows the theater-going experience could be a mixed bag, hard agree, Nick. Keeping comedies on streaming platforms makes it seem as though the culture doesn't value them. It makes them seem small. Uh, He continues, So for me, enjoying the Austin Powers movies has nothing to do with nostalgia for the 90s. I wouldn't want to do that decade over again unless I could make a lot of different choices. But I still wish we had big comedies with big laughs. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's a great piece. Lovely quote. It's a good piece. I highly recommend it. Uh, Cool to have think piece corner sometimes, at least. I feel like that's the closest we're going to get to actual Austin news. (laughs) I mean, we talked about it a bit, and maybe there's obviously opportunities to talk about it again in the future, about how when you watch the first one, it is shocking how well it ages and how it's still pretty laugh out loud funny and lots of great moments in it. I mean, the first one, I just, it's so solid. And and yeah, we don't, we don't make them like that anymore. You'll never see stars like this again. I mean, we, we gotta do... Us pointing at Austin Powers. You'll never see a star like this again. <laughs> it would be great to do once we've done a bunch of these like 90s comedies. It might be funny to do a recut of That's Entertainment where they're just throwing <laughs> to like fat bastard farting or whatever. That would be so funny. Oh, that'd be so good. Uh, but yeah, you know, that's all the Austin news there is to print. Austin Powers in 2022. How about it? What a How choice. How about it? And that means that it is time for the main event of the evening. It is time for the Big Lebowski, baby. You've spun the wheel. We landed on the Big Lebowski. So why don't you bring us in with that sweet, sweet synopsis? I hope I can do it justice. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in. 
found my mind in a brown paper bag but then Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski is a chronically chill kind of guy who loves drinking white Russians, smoking weed, and bowling with his buddies, Donnie and Walter. One day his house is broken into by two thugs who beat him up and piss on his rug, which is a travesty because that rug really tied the room together. He discovers they were seeking out a different, bigger Lebowski to get him to pay the debts of his trophy wife, Bunny. The dude just wants the big Lebowski to buy him a new rug, to tie the room together once more, and he begrudgingly obliges, giving him one of his own. But shortly after that, Big Lebowski reaches out again, because his wife has been kidnapped, and her assailants are asking for one million dollars in ransom. The dude abides and agrees to help, which sends him on a journey of a lifetime. He meets Maude Lebowski, Big Lebowski's daughter and feminist experimental artist who reveals her father is completely broke and eventually wishes to conceive a child with the dude. He meets Jackie Treehorn, a porn producer who Bunny is indebted to and who sent the rug pissing thugs after the dude in the first place. And he then drugs the dude to rid himself of him once he discovers how little use he is. And finally, he intersects with the Nihilists, a group of violent German doofuses who pretend to have kidnapped Bunny for the ransom, though Bunny was actually in Palm Springs with some friends the whole time. The dude figures it all out. The big Lebowski wanted his wife gone and found her fake kidnapping, which he did believe to be real, as the perfect excuse to steal money from his foundation and get rid of his wife in one fell swoop. The dude confronts him on this, and all seems well until the Nihilists attack the dude, Walter and Donnie, after a night of bowling, still wanting their ransom. Walter beats the shit out of them, but Donnie dies from a heart attack. The dude and Walter spread Donnie's ashes and return to the bowling league while the stranger orates his tail, putting all this shit behind them, and especially that big asshole, the big Lebowski. Darkness washed over the dude. I was full of fear the whole time that I would get like a name wrong the whole time I was reading that because I know you know this movie like the back of your hand. I, I do, but every time I watch it, you know, it's one of those things where the story happens so passively that I pick it up a different way every time. Yeah, I love it. Get into movie. your history. Yeah, I want to yeah. know your history. Obviously, you I, love this, but. I got it. I grew up as a Coen Brothers fan kind of through my uncle who loved Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm. And so I asked for this movie for Christmas because a DVD had just come out. Because my physical media sickness is one that started very young. And yeah, you know, it's one of those where I put it on and right away within the first five minutes, it's like, oh, this is going to be one of my favorite movies of all time. And then it just kind of came true. And from there, like I showed it to everybody and it was a big movie for me and my dad. And so I try to watch it literally this week, uh, (laughs) every year. His birthday was December 3rd, which was this past Saturday. Um, Mm -hmm. And he would have been, gee, 62 years old crazy so yeah so this was a big one for like in the later years of his life we really really bonded over this because it was like at least (laughs) something we had in common so that was great we wanted to go to lebowski fest which is like (laughs) uh you know i i don't feel connected to the cult of it all which is a big turnoff for a lot of people i get it i didn't know there was a cult of it oh yeah you know there's the dudism and all this and they have like lebowski conventions where they rent out a bowling alley and do a screening and everything and we, we always planned to do that, and it never came together. And I don't know. Now, post-COVID, I'm kind of curious. At least going. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I've loved this movie for, like, as long as I've really seriously loved movies. It is the best. I could I could watch it, or I could close my eyes and, like, walk through it. You know what I mean? 
Um, you are a much more recent viewer of the film. Is that correct? I am. I um, I don't even know if I really watched a lot of Coens before this last you know year and a half or so because i think growing up i was aware of a brother where art thou because growing up in the south people really loved that movie like i remember my my aunt and uncle my my grandparents really loved a brother where art thou so i I had heard the songs from that but that was maybe my only touchstone for cohen's at all and uh yeah i've never and so then you know obviously as i've gotten more into film they've they've been a pretty you know they've been a pretty big uh thing i've wanted to tackle by watching some of their films and yeah, I've watched like eight of their films. I love all of their movies a lot. I love Fargo. I love Blood Simple. I love, um, I love the tragedy of Macbeth. That was just Ethan. Oh yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes, great. You know, like I, I can't think of all the ones I've watched. Lumen Davis, I think I watched great. Like I love all of their movies. I've yet to watch a Cohen I didn't enjoy, in some way. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I know the Lady right? Killers. I haven't gone to the Lady Killers yet. <laughs> um, but I did. I think genuinely. Because when I first, when I become friends with people, I try to like enjoy the things they enjoy or at least check them out. And I do, I looked at when I watched this and it might time around when I watched this for the first time, it might time around the time I joined the discord and started getting to know you. And so I think I might've genuinely watched the big Lebowski because I knew you loved it and I wanted to be your friend and wanted to like watch something you love. And uh, so I th- I was like looking at when I watched it and I was like, wow, I think this might have been like when I first started to get to know Kev. I might have um, watched The Big Lebowski. And yeah, I loved it. I also loved it immediately. It was like, so my vibe. It was, I think it was like, I think I put it at four and a half initially and then immediately bumped it to five, like after a couple of days. Cause I was like, no, I, I loved that movie actually. Cause it, it is, it is exactly my kind of weird. It, is a movie that that manages to be like chill and meandering but also the stakes are so high and the story is always pushing forward it just really that balance it just strikes so perfectly so yeah it was i watched it kind of recently and just also kind of immediately loved it and it was so fun to watch today i was laughing my ass off watching this movie like it gives me belly laughs like laughing out loud which rarely happens to me like if i find something funny it's pretty small or internal when i react but like the Big Lebowski, it's it's one of those movies where as I'm watching it, I immediately have to quote it. Like after I hear someone say like, what is it like? It's a fucking show dog with fucking papers, like things like that. Like I hear that line and I have to immediately say it out loud because it made me laugh so hard, that kind of thing. Um, just like unreal how funny this movie is. It's really good. It's got an amazing rhythm to it too, which is like half yeah. the battle with jokes like that. The characters all speak, and this is them. This is the Coen brothers writing. Like, they are that Great precise. Script. Like, like top, beginning to end. But yeah, like, the world... You know what it feels like? It feels like they're adapting a book that doesn't exist. Hmm. It yeah. feels like the characters all have... Maybe they do in some notebook somewhere, but they all have a layer that you can't see. Mm. That you're just getting, you know, you ever, you know, read a book and then go see the movie and the movie is a representation of the book and the great big ideas, but it doesn't quite get all of it, which mm-hmm. is what people have been saying about white noise, ironically. Um, mm. That's how it felt to me. Like there was some great noir novel from the mid 80s, early 90s about the dude and his adventures. And we got maybe like half of it. And there's this whole other section about the brother Seamus and the landlord's plays or whatever that we'll never see. And that that is what took me this time. Mm. I was like, huh, that's interesting, right? Like, it feels like a world that's so lived in 
and the character is so perfectly written and captured that it feels like they're taking it and using evidence they got elsewhere, but where it's some magical nowhere place. If that lived makes in is, sense. No, yeah. Lived in is the perfect way to describe it. Like, it feels so realistic, though it, these characters are so exaggerated, but in subtle ways. Like, I feel like I'm, it's it's a movie of oxymorons. Like, I don't know how to describe it without saying, like, like Julianne Moore's, like, nude flying feminist experimental visual artist who talks kind of like Catherine Hepburn is such a weird character, but she does not feel out of place in this world at all. And like the dude is, you know, he's such a strange, you know, chill, funny, hip kind of guy with this like moral compass next to his like explosive, violent, very Jewish uh, friend who like, it's just like all these characters are really like big in their own ways, but yeah, they never feel out of place in the world. They, they, it's part of the performances. I think it's part of the writing. It's just a kind of beautiful combination of a lot of things that like, it, yeah, I love movies like that where you can tell there's a bigger world out there and it's inviting you to be in this weird world where like people's toes get cut off and like there's just these porn producers doing desert parties with topless women. Like it, it's inviting you to buy into a really weird world um, but you do. I don't know. I find it really easy to buy into because it does feel so real, even though it's strange. It's funny because in, you know, 15, 20 years later, Thomas Pynchon, one of the great postmodern novelists, does a book called Inherent Vice that I mm. love. And I love the movie because I love the book. But number one, the movie does the same thing where they try to capture the essence of the book and they don't quite get it all because there's so much. But Inherent Vice also feels like like even Thomas Pynchon took a lot of Big Lebowski ideas about the death of the hippie movement and the Reagan era and the early Bush era and uh, doesn't quite get all of it. Mm. It's wild to see like Pynchon going for a pastiche of the dude for for some reason. It's funny that you mentioned that like Reagan era stuff because that actually leapt out to me this time. I don't think I got that last time I watched it, but this time it really like the undertones of like, the big Lebowski, for me, especially thinking about when this came out and how old the Coens were around the time they were writing and directing this. Right. Like, thinking about, like, the big Lebowski is, like, the boomer generation. And then, like, the the dude kind of represents, to me, this, like, the, the, the angsty Gen Xers, right, that are coming into the 90s, into their, you know, into their, their late mid to late 20s, early 30s, and they're sort of feeling these they're being called underachievers, they're being called lazy, and yet they were they are inheriting a pretty broken country that, obviously, as millennials, we understand because we have continued to inherit that broken country and we are continuing to pass it right. down to the to the Gen Z babies. Um, but I don't know, like, that, that, that energy of, like, the Gen X boomer kind of clash that happened, especially after the Reagan era, you know, go, going into, like, the... I, never, I noticed all the mentions of, the, like, the Iraq War a lot more right, this time. Right, it sat like, around the onset of the, the Iraq War. Like yeah, 91, so, like... All, all of that, I'm not 100% sure I know the most articulate thoughts on it, but all of that did leap out to me a lot more this time in terms of like, yeah, political undertones of the film. Jeffrey Lebowski in his awards foyer has a photo with <laughs> has a photo with Nancy Reagan and Brandt, yeah. his assistant, is, is quick to note that that was when Nancy Reagan was the first lady of the country, not just the state of California. So they're happy about them in L.A. as well, which was not the situation. <laughs> As far as I know. This is a study. As you can see, the various commendations, awards, citations, honorary degrees, etc. 
Mm, very impressive. Oh, please feel free to inspect them. Mm. Oh, no, I'm not uh, really... Uh, oh, please, please. That is the key to the city of Pasadena, which Mr. Lebowski received two years ago in recognition of his various civic... Uh, oh, that's the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce Business Achiever Award, which is given... Well, not necessarily given every year. Hey, given only when there's a uh, worthy somebody... Is this, is this him with uh, Nancy? Yes, indeed. That is Mr. Lebowski with the First Lady, yes. Oh. Let's take in when Mrs. That's Ring uh, Lebowski on the left there? Yeah, of course, Mr. Lebowski on the left. So he's a, uh, you know, a, a uh, handicapped uh, guy? Mr. Lebowski is disabled, yes. Uh, this picture was taken when Mrs. Reagan was first lady of the nation. Yes, yes, not of California. Chuck? Uh, in fact, he met privately with the president, though unfortunately there wasn't enough time for a photo opportunity. Oh, Nancy's pretty good. Oh, wonderful woman. We were uh, very happy to... These are... Uh... Oh. Those are Mr. Lebowski's children, oh, different so mothers, to speak. Huh? No, they're not. Racially, he's pretty cool. <laughs> they're not literally his children. They're the little Lebowski urban achievers, inner city children of promise, but without the necessary means for a necessary means for a higher education. So Mr. Lebowski is committed to sending all of them to college. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he's working and exploiting this symbol of, I don't know if. I don't know how the generations stack up. I don't know if Jeff Bridges at that time. I don't. <clears throat> no, I think actually you've got it right. I think you've I got think it right. I think she would be Cause... the X. Because my mom is Generation X. And in the 90s, she was, you know, in her 20s. Like, I, 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 like Jeff Bridges might be a little bit older. Um, you've absolutely than got that, it but right. At least tonally, right. thematically, I was feeling that at least. Are you trying to tell me that The Big Lebowski is a postmodern criticism of the mid-century economic fuck-up done by the baby boomers during the Reagan years? Right? Do you mean to tell me that in the years that Gen Xers were, were yelled at like the boomers did to the dude? Right? They were busy gaining power and seizing power and keeping it and using it to throttle progress? across the board for the benefit of only themselves. Is this what the big Lebowski, I think, I think that's it. I think you may be onto something here. Cause I was picking up a lot of this same shit this time. I mean, there was that scene when like he first meets the dude when he's, well, he just won't even let the dude get a word in edgewise because he's just like my, you know, I lost my legs. I fought for what I have. And you, you people don't fight for what you have. You get given to you and you're underachievers and you're lazy. And just all those, it, we're still hearing that, right? Millennials, we're still hearing that, you know, it, like it just kind of, it just was, that was, and the, just that combined with like, yeah, him posing with Nancy Reagan. I think that um, Brandt mentions that he, he does, he has met with, with President Bush. Like, I don't know, like clearly it could be the Republican of it all. But for me, it felt more like a generational commentary yes. than, than anything else. I don't know. How many people from either side of the aisle have we seen pose with, quote, disenfranchised children who they are paying for something or other and not watching the books very well? And then we learn years later that they were as corrupt as Jeffrey Lebowski, who <laughs> tried to launder a million dollars in some harebrained scheme with a Kraftwerk ripoff band. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Fuck, that is good. See, this is the greatest. This movie is the greatest. It's about all, like, that's, and that's, here's the thing. That's a valid read. I think so, too. And there's also that's this really overall, like, this this undertone of also the Vietnam War, right? Which is, yes. like, people are still being affected by that war. You know what I mean? And, like, and not to, not to get too personal, but I have an uncle who is um, ill terminally from mm. Agent Orange. Like, he is still sick. Oh, my sick. God. 
because of the Vietnam War. We think of this thing as like being so long ago. And at least for even Walter, right? That's his name. I'm so, so worried Jack, about the character yes. name. John Goodman. Um, you know, it's not as far away for him. And it's still clearly like, I think that like his character is cartoonishly violent, but also like that is a side effect of the Vietnam War, which was actively... I think that's part of you know the 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 same type of power grab that you discuss you talked about like with the boomers, it's it's all tied in. I really feel like it's all relevant and it's so subtle that like I don't think I got it the first time, but this time really was pulling out to me. I think. It's true, and then you have the uh, <laughs> then you have the kids, the Donnies of the world who are tuned out to all of this who have no idea what's going on who are innocent and then who get caught in the crossfire through no fault of their own and they can't take it they can't take it their hearts give out and they die that is such a good read on that metaphor what the fuck we're left to cushion their deaths in our trauma as Walter hilariously does in the spreading of the ashes at the end right in the dude's face because he's not even looking at the wind I mean, Donnie was a good bowler and a good man. He was he was one of us. He was a man who loved the outdoors and bowling. And as a surfer, he explored the beaches of Southern California from La Jolla to Leo Carrillo and up to Pismo. He died. He died as so many young men of his generation before his time. In your wisdom, Lord, you took him. As you took so many bright, flowering young men at Quezon, at Londoc, at Hill 364. These young men gave their lives. And so did Donnie. Donnie, who loved bowling. Fuck. That that's was good. a brilliant read. That's a brilliant read on Donnie. That, you just and then, blew my mind. And then who else is there in the world? We have the low, high, we have high art, and we have those who aspire to high art. We have bumbling detectives. We have a police force that is useless and only really cares about imposing their will, right? And he calls them fascists too, which I love. There you go. Boom. And also, it's funny because, like, thinking of Maude Lebowski. Sorry, now I'm going deep into this metaphor. I can't Let's believe we have to have a video essay or something. Let's do it. Thinking of Maude Lebowski, she is a, you know, direct um, product of the big Lebowski, of, of big Jeffrey Lebowski. And it's, like, the idea that, like, her, I don't know, her being this sort of, like, postmodern feminist whatever also feel because that also came out in the 70s i think right like a lot of women coming out of the 60s were were sort of exploring uh feminism the first wave of feminism and like all that stuff in the 70s and so also she kind of feels like part of that metaphor too because like her sort of brand of first wave feminism sort of was birthed out of that you know generation of boomers who had children and who then became hippies who then became feminist experimental artists and I don't know, like she also, like they all kind of feel like metaphors a bit for for the generations they sort of represent because she's also a Gen Xer, but like as a woman, she's experienced things differently than the dude and, right. and the other people and, and Walter and all of them. I mean, she is also extremely upper class. Her her yeah. giant, <laughs> her hilarious giant warehouse, comically large, um, 
intentionally looks like this. There's there's like statues and other sorts of high art, very garish all over the place. She is as full of shit as any high society person in any movie into a cartoonish degree and has absolutely yeah. no problem, like her father, just using the dude as a stooge for everything up to and including uh, the birth of her child. The conception yep. of her child, rather, I should say, because, again, she will never talk to him again. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I saw a really hilarious um, IMDb trivia note that said, when asked, the Coens didn't even think about the psychological implications of Maud having a child or wanting to have a child with a man who shares the same name as her father. Which is also funny when you think about it, uh, that like her dad is Jeffrey Lebowski and then now the possible presumably which i want to get into the stranger a bit but pr- pr- probable child that she's going to have is also from a man named jeffrey lebowski a little right. little freudian there <laughs> isn't that isn't that interesting there's a lot to unpack i i want to know and sorry if i'm jumping around too much the stranger what do you think the stranger is who do you think the stranger is i've heard people say god but that feels a bit too easy yeah he I seems omniscient he seems omniscient, right? Because he's like, I know little Lebowski's on the way. So he's like omniscient in a way, but he and he's so aware of the dude's story. I'm curious if you've ever interrogated for yourself what he represents to you. I have always allowed it to be just a weird thing that happens in the movie. I've never, but then again, That's totally the, cool. the economic read of this film already, like we've pretty much cracked the case on a whole other areas of depth <laughs> in this movie. So I don't know. I mean, he makes it a fairy tale, right? He brings us in. He is the once upon a time and he is the happily ever after. Mm-hmm. right it's where he comes in maybe he's in a way us you know looking at you know the, the part of the romanticism of the old west is the idea that the old west is dead right the the video game red dead redemption is a weird touchstone for this but it is all about this about how yeah. the steam train is ending the old west you know what i mean it begins we meet john marston on a steam train and everyone's talking about like all oh, the new inventions or so I remember it's been, you know, 12 years. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Part of the romanticism of that time and the Sam Elliott of it all is about how they don't make it like they used to. And the dude isn't made how they used to. Right. So maybe it's using the Sam Elliott, the Old West archetype to draw on who is, you know, a lot of there's been a lot of discussion in the last couple of years, especially from Sam Elliott himself, about what makes a man in the West right? Mm. Um, his opening monologue ends with somewhere there's a man or some, you know, whatever it is, someplace there's a man, someplace there's a man, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I honestly, maybe it's to contrast what you think of men. Are there any men in that Old West standard in the Big Lebowski besides the stranger himself and uh, and the stranger himself? I don't think... <laughs> Is the stranger meant to cast uh, a read on masculinity in the whole film where everybody is a subversion yeah. of conventional masculinity in this film from Brant to the, to Uli, the performance artist by the amazing David Thewlis. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like from the lowest rung, the guy who carries the Jesus's bags, that's a whole other, other character and facet we have to touch on is Jesus Quintana. But like, Everybody in this movie is not a conventional man the way that Sam Elliott would say belongs in the West. And yet we're tumbling with the tumbleweeds at the beginning and the end. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the character. Maybe it's the dude confronting the platonic ideal of masculinity or something. I, I don't know. 
There's an essay in here somewhere. There's an essay. We got a couple essays going. I feel like the, but he also could like be, I, I, I honestly was asking cause I'm curious. Cause I feel like, yeah, I've seen God a lot. I feel like that's too easy of an answer, but like, I, I want to find more reads on that because he is such a strange, but great character. And I also think it's totally valid and awesome that this movie is built in such a way that you can just let go and be like, this is just a weird guy and I'm just going to enjoy it because I feel like this movie asks you to lean in and like, you're, you're better for it when you just lean in. Right. You know what I mean? When you just like let the movie wash over you. Um, it's one of those movies that's just so deeply enjoyable when you let that happen. I could also see him like representing maybe the, you know, the earliest parts of what we identify as America or whatever. And then juxtaposing that with where we're talking about what the, you know, generations that are kind of being examined have done to America. I don't know. I'll figure out an essay one day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. This has been such a fun conversation. I'm like, I don't know where to go from here. I know. Do you want to, I mean, do you have anything else for me? Do you have anything else you noticed on this read? I mean, I could talk about any element of this all day. Um, I know. I know. I, this is weird, but I think if we did quick hits, It'll help kind of explore more things because most this is such a vibes movie. Most of my notes are just like calling out performance moments I love or quotes I love. So I feel like Quick Kids might be a good way to like at least hit on all the things we want to talk about. Of the movies that tackle the way that the boomer generation ruined America during Reagan's presidency, this is the most vibey of them all, I think. So, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Let's do it. What are some of your quick hits? Um, on TV. When Walter goes to beat up what he thinks is Larry's car, he says, this is what happens, Larry. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Find a stranger in the Alps? Did you know that? No. Like the mountains? When you find a stranger in the Alps. I defy you to go on YouTube and find it and drop it in right here as I'm talking about it. (laughs) I will. This is what happens, Larry. You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? This is what happens. You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens, Larry? This is what happens when you feed a stranger scrambled eggs. What happens, Larry? I think that's hilarious. I love Larry. By the way, Larry's probably the most old West of them all. He just stands there and stares at them and doesn't say anything. And lets Walter wig out and flip out and destroy this random dude's car. This random dude, by the way, with the worst ADR I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I love the Larry stuff. I love that that just goes nowhere and the cops have no interest. They laugh in his face. Leads. But then again, a cop in L.A. in the early 90s, etc. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not to get too inside baseball for those people who quit last week because of our, our L.A. bashing. What else do I I love the brother Seamus. What do you mean an Irish priest? <laughs> I love that guy. I love that that's even an element in this, this goofy rundown Volkswagen bug. I love that the dude, the dude is pushed into the limo when they get the tow. And yes. he's holding an open glass white Russian and he doesn't spill. Not one drop. And you could go it's frame so by frame. He doesn't spill it. The movie looks beautiful in 4K. I want to get out. Mm. I should have gotten out in front of this. I apologize for saying it was DNR'd. That's because I've been watching DVDs and Blu-rays for 10 years, 12 years now to be exact, that are all like DNR'd to shit. The movie looks Mm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's got this nice warm tone. And uh, it's that way on Vudu and stuff as well if you like to rent digitally instead. So 
highly recommend you check that out. Um, I love the Jesus. I think the Jesus is hilarious. The way Donnie looks at the Jesus is one of my favorite choices in acting of all time. I love, again, like it I was, said, go ahead. There was, was there a little moment happening there? Rachel was like, <laughs> it looks like Donnie is having a realization about himself because the Jesus kisses at him and Donnie has a like, oh. Well, Donnie's naive. You know, he'll fall for anything. As, as Walter <laughs> says somewhat cruelly, he's like a child that walks in the middle of a room, starts asking questions. <laughs> You know, <laughs> which is kind of his point. I feel like uh, Buscemi coming from a generation, you know, is Buscemi not the millennials who are children asking what is going on to the world as it is ruined. Right. Like I said, yep. eh, I gotta think about this very deep film. We're going to blow YouTube up one day when we, <laughs> when we make this an actual video essay. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be great. What else do I have off the top of my head? I, I kind of love Tara Reid singing Viva Las Vegas. I think that's hilarious. The visual of her, <laughs> like the car is crashed into the fountain because who gives a shit? Um, last big thing from me, David Thewlis as Uli, the video artist. His little laugh. <laughs> that is nightmarish. His little giggling. He's hilarious. And my favorite line in the whole movie. What? Who the fuck is this guy? Who is he? Or something like that is like it <laughs> makes me laugh every time. Those are my quick <laughs> hits. I want to hear from you, Mackenzie, please, whenever you're ready. I mean, most of my hits are like quotes, right? Like this movie, this made me, I think about this a lot. I hate that I'm always sort of in the, they don't make them like this anymore mode because I feel like because our media is so splintered, we're not all watching the same thing anymore. Like we all have so much media, we can watch whatever we want. But I do kind of miss the days of when like quotes were a big thing. And I think quotes were much bigger when we all were seeing the same movies and we were all seeing the same TV shows. And I feel like this is just an insanely quotable movie. That like so many of my notes were just me laughing and writing down the quotes. Because yeah, the script is phenomenal. Jeff Bridges is mind-blowingly great in this movie. Made for the role, born to be the dude. No one else could be the dude ever in the history of the universe. He's taken on the personality of the dude in real life. And that's been like fun. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, it's because, hey, listen, if the shoe fits. Yeah. And John Goodman also, like maybe one of my favorite performances from him so fucking funny every line is great obviously you know as again my we we both are partnered to people who are jewish and so we're sort of like loving companions to the jewish faith and his jewish stuff is so great me and rachel read this awesome article calling him one of the greatest jewish characters in in film and i just every day every time he's like i don't fucking roll on fucking shabbos i'm shomer shabbos like all of that is just so funny who's the charge of scheduling walter burkhalter i told that crowd a fucking thousand times i don't roll on shabbos walter they already posted it well they can fucking unpost it who gives a shit uh, they're gonna kill that poor woman, man. What am I gonna tell Lebowski? Come on, dude. Uh, eventually she'll get tired of her little game and, you know, wander on back. Yeah. How come you don't roll on Saturday, Walter? I'm Shomer Shabbos. What's that, Walter? Yeah, and in the meantime, what do I tell Lebowski? Saturday, Donnie, is Shabbos, the Jewish day of rest. That means I don't work. I don't drive a car. I don't fucking ride in a car. I don't handle money. I don't turn on the oven. And I sure as shit don't fucking roll! Sheesh. Shomer Shabbos! Walter, how am I going to... Show her fucking show. Oh, fuck. That, that's it. I'm out of here. Oh, come on. Um, the blonde guy who who doesn't piss on the rug is the hitman from Mulholland Drive. I feel like I'm legally obligated yes. to point out anyone from that movie. <laughs> and I'm legally obligated to point out that he is the... He's Jacob on Lost. Oh. 
Oh. He is the the supposed keeper of the island and other assorted secret things. <laughs> the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman is hilarious in this movie. My even in this small role. Now around this time, just for ADP Canon, he is also stealing the show in Hard Eight with a Which much we, more detailed. We talked about. That's right. But this is such a wonderful supporting role. Uh, again, it's one of these characters who you know that there's a book out there of the Big Lebowski where Brant's got a whole chapter where we hear about his old stupid deal. But no, because this is the movie of that book that doesn't exist, we get like five, ten minutes of him, and it's amazing. How about the the opening the door to reveal the sullen Lebowski, the sweeping of the hands, is, and then the music that plays is so good. He's like Cogsworth, kind of, the yes. way he treats the Big Lebowski. I mean, he's so funny. His, like, gritted teeth laugh he does when he's like, <laughs> and he's laughing with his teeth grinding together. That's great. And I, I love, because Philip Seymour Hoffman was, I, I, I really believe, one of the greatest actors who ever lived, and we lost him way too soon. And because he's such an amazing actor, he has all the, he's so, he's able to infuse these little moments of hilarity because he was also such a funny fucking comedian as an actor and there's a part that uh, i noticed this time that made me laugh so hard when the big lebowski is going real men cry real tough men cry right. you see, see nope, brant stranger like, again you see brant trying to make himself cry <laughs> and then when he's like brant give him that brant immediately oh yeah and like snaps out of it like clearly was nowhere near tears but was like you could see him trying to make himself cry so that he could you know connect to what Lebowski's saying and it's just like so like little moments like that like that's there's no way that's in the script that's just I I think I don't know Philip Seymour Hoffman just he's that kind of actor that I feel like could just bring that in and it's just so great we've been frantically trying to reach you dude <laughs> everything he says so good obviously like again most of my lines are I <laughs> Most of my notes are lines I wrote down. So racially, he's pretty cool. When, he, <laughs> when he's like all different moms. So racially, he's pretty cool. Right, exactly. Insane line. He uh, saw right through the little achievers like immediately. <laughs> yes. I also like the, like I said, the, the fucking show dog with fucking papers. I didn't rent it shoes. Like all these like lines are so funny. Him just pulling out a gun at the bowling alley. Hilarious. Can I ask as someone, not me, but you or someone with facial hair, specifically a mustached situation, something that haunts me is when he drinks his white Russian and the milk gets pulled up in his mustache and he just pulls the hair into his mouth and just sucks it, like sucks his hair for the milk. What? Do you have to do that? And also, is that clean? (laughs) I have no comment to make about who does or does not suck on their mustache. Sucking on a mustache. I was like, whoa, do dudes with mustaches suck on their mustache? Here's how I'll put it. We're all children of God, right? At the end of the day, <laughs> the end of the day when we're sleeping or taking a shower or whatever, we're all animals at the end of the day. Are we not? Are we not? Um, yeah uh well you know that's just like your opinion man (laughs) just like everything he says is so good uh julian moore i I called her out earlier she's so funny and great in this around this this time i mean julian moore is also one of the greatest actresses i think we have and her filmography in the 90s is so good because she's doing this she's doing boogie nights she's doing magnolia she's doing safe (laughs) <laughs> she's up. doing safe with uh with mm, with Todd Haynes. like god the, like 90s julian moore is so fucking good um not that she's not still good i'm i will will be seated for the new movie she's doing with Natalie portman 
with and Todd Haynes. But uh, yeah, like wow, what a what a great run she had in the nineties. You'll hear you'll hear no disagreement from me. I love the dude as a character. I love that he has a moral compass and he's he's he he's has faults just like all of us. But I love that he figures it out in the end. Like he 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 is a smart guy when when given the opportunity. And I really love that he kind of figures out the uh the mystery. He's just such a great character. Like they're all such great characters and they're all flawed and fucked up and weird, but you love them anyway. Uh and just what a what a gift, what a treat that this movie is like that. Going into Maud's house, like directed like a horror movie. I thought that was fun. Yep. The bowling pin pipe. I immediately wanted to buy you. I was like, <laughs> how can I purchase this for Kevin Riley? I need to buy this right now. One day. Uh, Walter thinking of himself as like the genius of the film is just every time so funny to me. Him being like fucking amateurs. I know how this is done. As if he's like a fucking like Jason Bourne character. Right. Like I don't know what he thinks he is, but it's just it works so funny. Flea. Flea. The bass player being here. It's yeah. weird. That's weird, but I love it. Back to the Future 2 and 3's Flea. <laughs> Um, God, yeah, just again, like so many, so many quotes I just wrote down, like Mr. Treeboard treats objects like women, man. I use that one a lot. Uh, <laughs> I'm just helping her conceive, man. <laughs> Fucking human paraguat. Like so many of these <laughs> are just like lines I just laughed at and I wrote down. Um, God, yeah, sorry. Just again, just love this movie. All my vibe notes. I am sad that Donnie dies. I think that's a really horrific death. But when you bring it into the metaphor in the way you did absolutely blew my mind uh on a, the last thing i wrote is just the ashes flying back in his face is so funny uh man yeah these these quick hits are just like i love this movie uh basically but that those are my quick hits you want to give me your final thoughts i mean it's obvious how we both feel about this movie i think doesn't take a rocket scientist you know i've never thought about any of this stuff until this podcast and that's the power of the big lebowski is i've been watching this movie for years and years and years and i never even thought of this context to even begin to think about it in this way and it's one of those movies for me, you know, um, do I resent the cult? Maybe, but <laughs> you know, five stars. Duh. Duh. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like the Coen, Coen brothers movies. I think the big Lebowski is endless fun. I loved, loved, loved this conversation so much. This was just like so fun to, to talk about these ideas and, and I'm excited to even watch the movie again and try to like flesh those ideas out more. And uh, yeah, I just think it's like a genuinely funny movie. Might be one of my favorite comedies. Uh, I added it to my all-time faves list on this watch just to remedy that. Um, And I love you so much. And I love this movie so much. And I love that you love this movie. And I love that now whenever I watch The Big Lebowski, I get to think of my my friend Kev. So obviously five stars. That means a lot. Yeah. That means a lot. Yeah, of course. All right. It's time to do our little show. You ready? Let's do it. I love gold. Yeah, it's funny that, that, number one, you said you love this movie so much, and I managed to turn Big Lebowski into a Southland Tales tonight, because we are the only people in the world. At the time, uh, this movie was received pretty coolly by people who, how could oh. you have gotten it? After a movie so direct, so clearly masterful, and so far-reaching as Fargo, hmm. right? Which we will discuss one day on the show. It's a remarkable, amazing movie. That said, it did get nominated for stuff. Obviously, complete shutout at the Oscars, but uh, crowded time. I don't remember what year this is, but there's a chance it could be Shakespeare in Love, which is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 98. Makes sense. Award Circuit Community Awards. I don't even know what these are. 
John Goodman won Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Jeff Bridges, Julianne Moore, and the Coens for Screenplay, also nominated. Amazing. The Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics Association Awards nominated The Big Lebowski for Best Picture. Berlin International Film Festival was a nominee for The Golden Berlin Bear. Um, In <laughs> uh, the Russian Guild of Film Critics Awards, because they quoted Lenin, I'm sure, Joel Cohen won for Best Foreign Film, and Jeff Bridges was nominated for Best Foreign Actor as well. Finally, at the Satellite Awards, the film was nominated for, well, all acting awards, actually, Jeff Bridges and John Goodman and Julianne Moore. And then a few years later, the widescreen collector's edition DVD was nominated for Best Overall DVD. <laughs> finally, finally, the film <laughs> the film came in fifth for Best Foreign Film at the Turkish Film Critics Association Awards, or SIAD. All right. So that's the gold. I don't know. I read it off a list. What can I tell you? <laughs> finally, we have the Alan Parsons Project, our big Dr. Evil scare quotes segment where I read a bunch of connections to the movie. We tie our film in to the Austin Powers trilogy. It's a biggie this week, but I've taken a bunch of names and hopefully it's fun. Uh, here's something I never realized. The dude's landlord, Jack Keller, is the circus barker during my beloved the one-eyed monster scene in The Spy Who Shagged Me with Jeff yeah. Garland as the hilarious Cyclops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also appears in Dudley Do-Right, Men in Black 2, What a Journey That'll Be, and the Jimmy Fallon Surrealist Nightmare Fever pitch. So that's exciting to look forward to. All in the not-too-distant future, I'm sure. Also, Brie Turner makes her triumphant return to Austin Danger podcast. Do you remember earlier this year when we saw her in the title sequence of My Best Friend's Wedding? Oh, well, I did not. <laughs> she was a no. she was a dancer there. She was a dancer here. We'll see her again. She's a, probably in the gutter ball scene, which we didn't yes. talk about. The hilarious dream sequence, kind of like a Bubsy Berkeley kind of animated deal. Genuinely phenomenal scene. Just like. Yeah, I don't even know how we didn't touch on that. So sorry. That's Very an amazing cool. scene. Hey, look, it's a big show. We're talking about big things. And speaking, <laughs> you know, at least in Deuce Bigelow, she's got a name. She's usually just a dancer. But in Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo, <laughs> movie we'll see her in, uh, she is called Allison. And speaking of yeah. Allison, when the dude is at the doctor's appointment, you can hear Elvis Costello in the earbuds of his Walkman. <gasps> the Rolling Stones also go. appear on the soundtrack. Also connecting to the film, hey, the woman who designed Austin's glasses in the sequels is named Wendy Altman Cohen. No relation, there's an H. More eyewear from her will be seen in our episodes on Big Fish, Down With Love, and Charlie's (gasps) Angels Full Throttle. I have a feeling that's a big link. Excuse me, three of my favorite movies of all time? What the fuck? (laughs) Wendy Cohen, the love of my life? I know. Excuse me? It happened. Uh, finally, in the lighting department, key grip Jerry Day brings us a bunch of stuff that looked to me like Skinamax classics with names like Team Steam and Temptress, but also oh. the cult classic Gremlins riff, Ghoulies. Oh, okay. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Those right. are but a few. I like to pick a handful, and uh, all of those are on the wheel, or will be on the wheel in 2023 if they're not. More on that in the coming weeks, so get excited. It's great. There you are. You're over there. We have one you over there. Dear friend, Jay Sher, host of the Podzilla pod, which Kev appeared on recently. That's right. Go check them out. They're awesome. Jay Sher wrote in and said, 
Hey, Kevin McKenzie. Can't wait to hear the two of you talk Big Lebowski on the show. Watched this for the first time only about a month ago and instantly fell in love with it. How good is Jeff Bridges? And that dream sequence? Steve Buscemi? Yes to all three of those. Uh, this is a movie I've heard about my whole life, but for some reason just never got around to checking it out, which is something I definitely regret. Do either of you have any movies that you know you'll love, but haven't gotten around to watching yet? Anyway, that's me. Love the Big Lebowski. Love the show and love you too. Jay Show. What can I say? Thank you so much. A movie I know I'll love, but have not watched yet. I have like 90 of these. Let me check my watch list right now. I know. I'm like pulling up my watch list, but I've been dumping so much random crap on my watch list. Who even knows? Okay. Jay Sure. Here's, here's one that I have never seen and I have a feeling I'll love and I have a bunch of close friends who love it and they love similar movies that I have seen and loved and for the same reasons. And that movie is Michael Bay's Armageddon, which I actually have never seen. <gasps> You've never seen Armageddon? I feel like it's on the wheel. We'll get to it one day. And uh, hopefully I'll love it. Yeah, I have a feeling. I'm pretty confident because you and Ian love other ridiculous movies for the same reason. I believe <laughs> you haven't seen it yet, but Ian and I are Team Ambulance. So it's Armageddon's a good time. And a lot of my love for it was definitely fueled by how much I know Ian loves it, but I just thought it was a really fun time. And I did buy the out of print criterion because I said, I need that in my life. So yeah, I, I'm definitely an that, Armageddon uh, fan. Gotta have that Aerosmith music video in pillar boxed 4.3, whatever ratio. Absolutely. Another one I would say also is Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy, which has eluded me Ooh. for months and months and months, and I keep meaning to get to it, and then I don't get to it. The Roxy, my favorite theater, had it, and I missed it, and that breaks my heart, but that's just kind of how <laughs> it is sometimes when you are an adult man with responsibilities and things to do. <laughs> so, yeah, I think The King of Comedy and Armageddon <laughs> are my two answers. I love that. Yeah, I know. I'm like looking through my watch list because most of these movies, right? I add to my watch list because I assume and hope I will like them. Um, I think a big one is all about Eve. That seems sure. like such a huge one that I feel like I will. I am primed to love, and it's it seems like such an iconic movie. And uh, I don't know. I think it's it. It kind of the apartment I watched recently was also kind of one of what something I would have said to this where it was like I was waiting for the right time, the right mood, and I'm just waiting for the right day where all about Eve calls me to it. Uh, so that's a big one. And then Three Women, Robert Altman, 1977, is another sure. one that uh, gets recommended to me incessantly because um, I used to be on these like Criterion you know, Facebook groups, forums. And if I said my favorite movie is Mulholland Drive, everyone is like, watch Persona, which I did watch, sure. and Three Women. Uh, you know, I think it's it's more just like women, are they the same person? Are they not? I don't know. That seems to be the thing that ties those films together. But um, I love Robert Altman. I've been watching a lot of his movies lately and I uh, just, I like his style of filmmaking. I think he's kind of a weirdo and in all the best ways. And I, I just like so primed to love uh, three women and I just need to sit down and actually put it on because <laughs> I feel like I will dig it. Uh, so yeah, I think those are the two that are two that I'm just like waiting for the right time, but I should make a priority probably. Oh Yeah. Thank you for that question and that letter 
And if you want to send us a letter or a voicemail with questions or just comments and thoughts on the things we've done, I know we've put a lot of hot takes out in the last like seven days. So, you know, if you want to send us any of your thoughts on any of the films we cover or what we might be covering next week, our final film before we dive into Pandora. That's right. uh, You can send anything you'd like to Austin Danger Podcast at gmail.com. Here it is. It's time. The, the wheel is baby. here. It's time to roll the wheel. Okay. You are like um, doing ye old pull at your collar. Is this like, I can't tell if that's a good or bad. Here's the thing. I got on the wheel the fortuitous number 69. And <gasps> nice. number 69, Nice, on the wheel, is a movie that is was going to be my number 50 pick, but I removed it from consideration because it was too similar to the Avatar films, right? It's a big CG extravaganza. It's very expensive. It was very well hyped in systems that we'll talk about with H and Jason when they come on for Avatar. We're not going to touch much on the Harry Knowles hype machine (laughs) Uh, next week on Austin Danger Podcast when we discuss another one of one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm so sorry, everyone. Peter Jackson's King Kong. Um, (laughs) These are the rules. I don't make them. I just enforce them arbitrarily. 69. I promise you, I swear to God, I can take screenshots. I have receipts. This is an organic <laughs> spin. I didn't mean to do it. I I just... You actively were going to not do this. They so were like going to save this for a while. Wow. I, I almost re-rolled, but then I decided, you know what? Uh, we're worth it here. I love Naomi Watts. Uh, you know, I've never seen this. Let's go. Let's fucking go. I will warn people, the movie is very long. We may actually get out in front of this one because it is a Titanic three hours and six minutes long. Um, three hours. So that's the thing. Like, just be careful, right? Take breaks. Go to the bathroom. Take a nap. But get a glass it's on of Peacock. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. Last I also watched The Big Lebowski on Peacock. Why are all of your favorite movies on Peacock? Well, that's because... The Big Lebowski and King Kong are both universal movies. Oh, okay. There we go. There we go. So there we go. That may be an element. You know, I was already going to start doing homework for Avatar this week. I was like, what are we going to pick? Like Chicken Run? It'll be like 80 minutes. <laughs> That's what I get. Nope. That's what I get. I'm looking right now. I'm wondering if Peacock has the extended edition of King Kong, but it's not Th- looking like. There's a longer than three hours and six minutes version? Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Are you kidding me? It's like it's like literally 325. What the It's fuck? got even more in it. Um, and it's not on Peacock, unfortunately. They had it on HBO Max, so it's a big bummer to lose it. But um, believe me. I, I'll stick to my three hours and six minutes. <laughs> it's okay. I think I'll be You okay. could make the argument that you don't need 90 minutes of this movie. You can just lob off. So. <laughs> so join us on the journey, folks. December wow. is decided. We are out of L.A. and deep in the jungles of Skull Island for what is definitely not going to be a problematic at all journey with Peter oh, Jackson's God. King Kong. <laughs> problematic? What's going to go on in this Oh, you know, you know what happens when people go to islands in movies. Oh, there's a, there's Jesus. a kaiju on the island. You know what happens. Oh, so geez. if you want to... Yell at us for picking this movie. If you want to accuse us of fixing the wheel, 
If you want to talk about Peter Jackson's King Kong, want to talk about, hey, is Jack Black a good dramatic actor? He's doing kind of a Seth Rogen, Fablemansy kind of attempt at being a little more serious this time. Does it work? Does it not work? Is the only reason this movie happened because of the miraculous, miracle success of Lord of the Rings? There's only one way to let us know, and that's by sending us a written email or a voicemail under 90 seconds to AustinDangerPodcast at gmail.com. Let's do it. Oh my God, we are going to get so much shit. But until until then, from Mackenzie, this is Kev. Austin Danger Podcast, peace! If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. Take care, man. Gotta get back. Sure. Take it easy, dude. Oh, yeah. I know that you will. Yeah, well, the dude abides. <laughs>